right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace. Father, we thank you for the gospel, that you're a God of love, that you're a God that decided to care for us even though when we were unworthy, even though we rebelled against you. We thank you for the good news that you've granted us through your son, through his death and resurrection on the cross. Help us never be familiar with this reality, Father, and that you are a good God. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that your spirit guide us and teach us tonight and help us understand the things about you so that we can be more and more intimate with you, so we can have sweeter fellowship with you. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 42. So we continue on with this series, taking our time per the Spirit's direction. I hope some of you have noticed that, um, how at times the Spirit takes His time on different subjects, different areas. We're not in a rush to get through this topic so we can get to the next one. You know, it's really about enjoying the moment, and seeing what God has for us today. And who knows, maybe we'll be on this series till the rapture. Right? Who knows? But to think of it that way, to think the Spirit, it's His direction, it's His, it's his ministry, it's His work. And there's certain topics that He's going to you know, pause on along the way. Uh, just a quick analogy, it's kind of like going on a road trip with a tour guide. And you see lots of things on this tour. But you spend more time on some of those things per the tour guide's wisdom and guidance. And so the Spirit sometimes says, stop right here for a while. Park it. Dwell on these things. So take, take these things from the Spirit. When you see that you know we're on a topic that you think we've already covered, or you're like, huh, we're still on faith, for example. Yeah, we're still on faith for a reason. Don't know why, but he's kind of parked us here for quite a while. So just a quick review again of what we saw on Sunday regarding faith on the board. Faith is among the greatest treasures we seek. It is the very substance of our wisdom. While knowledge may be the basis, faith is the substance of wisdom. For without godly wisdom, there's no real understanding. There's a lot there. I hope you just kind of take all that in. Um, knowledge and wisdom are two completely different things. Again, faith is among the greatest treasures we seek. It is the very substance of our wisdom. While knowledge may be the basis, faith is the substance of wisdom. But without godly wisdom, there's no real understanding. How many times have you said to yourself, I know that, but I don't get it. I know those are the facts. I, I, I know that's the answer, but I don't understand it. Huge difference. So that's what the Spirit's been getting at here with, with wisdom. Uh, this made me think of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11.1. 1. We actually saw this verse um, a couple weeks ago. But here's a little different emphasis. And you'll notice the, on the point in the board, I highlighted the word substance, which was not highlighted on Sunday for a reason. Uh, look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. On the board, here's another translation in the New King James Version. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. So we don't often think of faith as a substance, as a solid thing that can be grasped, spiritually speaking, of course. But it is. And that should be encouraging also. And if you don't have it, God can give it to you. God can give you the grasp, if you will, of it. The more we pray for it, as we'll see. And as we've seen, only faith in the things of God can give us true wisdom. Only faith in the things of God can give us true wisdom. Faith opens the door and turns on the light in the soul of man. Literally from darkness to light. (laughs) Pitch darkness to the sunlight. The highest extremes. That's what faith does. That's why it's so vital, as it's been coming out. On Sunday, we talked about all the knowledge that Satan has, even of the Word of God. He has the whole thing memorized. Yet he twists it to try to deceive people and tempt them away from true faith. Even from faith at all. So here's Satan having the Bible memorized. And he doesn't have any faith. And he tries to steer others away from faith in what the Word of God says in the knowledge of the Word of God. But all the knowledge in the world cannot replace the wisdom that faith provides. That's been the message. All the knowledge in the world can't replace the wisdom that faith provides. And dare I say the difference between these two realities is a heart issue. What's the difference between Satan and a believer? A change of heart, a uh, submission a surrender of the heart. Accepting something as knowledge versus accepting something as true wisdom. On the board, this came up a couple years ago in our study on saving faith. Faith is a heart issue. A person who not only learns but surrenders to God's knowledge in faith and humility, he will receive wisdom from God. So do we receive it as truth in our hearts or do we just gather it as facts and knowledge? Again, a person who not only learns but surrenders to God's knowledge in faith and humility, he will receive wisdom from God. So the question is, do we receive it as truth in our hearts or do we just gather it as facts and knowledge and doubt it every step of the way? question it every step of the way like Satan does so God wants us to get knowledge first but unless it's accepted by faith it can never become wisdom let me say that again as Andrea was so rudely interrupting (laughs) I'm just kidding get it out girl (laughs) God wants us to get knowledge first but unless it's accepted by faith it can never become wisdom It's like, um, ah, I don't know what the analogy would be, but it's like a food without any spice to it, without any flavor to it. And then faith makes it wonderful tasting, full, uh, real. Um, Knowledge is knowledge, wisdom is wisdom, two totally different things. And there are a lot of knowledge gatherers out there who just want to know all the answers for personal gain or because they want to debate people. You ever meet somebody who just wants to know every fact they can know so they can be smarter than everybody else, right? And they will go home and memorize the Bible, not because they're looking for truth, because they want to be so equipped that they can embarrass others for their own edification, i.e. Satan, I guess we might say. But those are knowledge gatherers, and they refuse to submit to God's word as being true. We heard a lot about wisdom on Sunday morning, as well as in our series, Beware Where You Turn, if you remember. So we see here another recurring theme from the Spirit that He has us parked on, so to speak. And in fact, we went to Proverbs 4 when we were discussing guarding our hearts in that series a few weeks ago now. And we went to Proverbs 4 on Sunday. So go again to Proverbs 4 
and see what the Spirit has us parked on. Wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom. What is this thing called wisdom? What should our attitude be towards wisdom? Proverbs 4, verse 5. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. So on the board, regarding gaining wisdom. The first step in gaining wisdom is motivation. So we have a heart issue right there, don't we? Motivation, God looks at the heart, God looks at why we do what we do. The first step in gaining wisdom is motivation. Seek diligently and you shall find. When you possess it, you are granted understanding. It is then that you're able to discern between things like good and evil, context changes in your life, and gradations, etc. So this is right in line with where we started uh, even on Sunday. Faith is among the greatest treasures that we seek. Wisdom. God's wisdom. The faith, we might say. And we saw a wonderful exam- example of Solomon's humble request uh, in Second Chronicles 1, verse 6. Turn again to Second Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Again, the first step in gaining wisdom is motivation. Why do I want to know God's word? Is it just a duty? Is it because I have to or I should? Or am I going to reconcile this with God and be like, God, I want, to, I want to know you more. Help me want to know you more. So we have a pure motivation. Second Chronicles 1.6 Solomon went up there before the Lord to the bronze altar, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now, stop there for a second. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Notice the humility and obedience and love for God that Solomon had. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon. This implies that this was one day, a thousand burnt offerings. It's it's, uh, commitment, dare we say, dedication love for God that Solomon had. And because of this humility, God appeared to Solomon in that night. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? Notice Solomon's humility. He knew it wasn't his kingdom. He knew he was given the gift, the privilege of ruling God's people. They weren't his people. What does he say? Who can rule this great people of yours? Verse 11, God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, And did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life. But you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge, that you may rule my people, over whom I I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So we also saw on Sunday how Solomon, because of this prayer, this humble prayer, and because of God granting this prayer, he was the wisest man on all the earth from this point forward. Turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. 1 Kings 4, 29.
So Solomon had the chance to ask for anything he wanted for. And he asked for wisdom and knowledge, which really is proof of humility right there, right? If you're, if you're given the chance to ask for anything, ha, there's a real humility test. Am I going to ask for something for me or not for me? That's, you got to be, you got to have humility or you don't at that point. First Kings 4.29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom, just like God gives faith, by the way. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So notice that Solomon's faith and wisdom began with humility before the Lord and God's people. His humility freed God up to grant Solomon such great faith and wisdom. And again, these things are all gifts from God, as all good things come from our Heavenly Father above. So again, the point on the board regarding gaining wisdom. The first step in gaining wisdom is motivation. Seek diligently and you shall find. When you possess it, you are granted understanding. It is then that you're able to discern between good and evil, context changes, gradations, etc. In other words, real life. How do you discern what's right and wrong in real life or when to do what in real life? If you have God's wisdom, you'll, you'll start to know more and more. We were also reminded on Sunday, no man on earth other than the Lord himself has ever had more knowledge of Scripture than Satan, not even Solomon. Yet we know from Scripture that Satan lacks faith in God, and therefore he lacks wisdom. He plays it off like he has wisdom, but all he has is knowledge. Satan has a ton of knowledge of Scripture. Think about that. But no wisdom, because he refused to accept it by faith as truth in his heart. He rejected it as truth. You can recite the whole thing. You can recite the Declaration of Independence. You can recite any document you want. But whether you believe it or not is a totally different issue, isn't it? And that's what Satan is. He's like a cold heart. Saying, you know what? No. I know what it says. I'll tell you right now what it says. But no, I don't believe it. The difference between knowledge uh, without faith, you know, um, no wisdom without faith. On Sunday, the Spirit gave us something to ponder uh, on the board. This came out. If the greatest faith one can ever possess is saving faith, then every believer is wiser than Satan and the fallen angels. Just something to think about for a minute. If the greatest faith one can ever possess is saving faith, then every believer is wiser than Satan and the fallen angels. Notice the word is wiser, not smarter. We may not be smarter than him intellectually, but we're wiser because we made the great decision with the help of God. By grace, this is true about us as believers. You have a certain supernatural spiritual wisdom if you're saved. You possess a certain supernatural spiritual wisdom if you're saved. And even though Satan will try to outsmart us with his knowledge, which is vast, we have wisdom and discernment from God available to us as believers. That's where, you know, the wisdom of the child embarrasses the, an elder. All right, I forget the verse I'm thinking of right now, but 
you know, the, the, uh, the child can shame the wise, all right, the smart one, because he has faith. Certainly something to think, to think about and be encouraged by, regardless of IQ. With faith, we can have wisdom, even that Satan doesn't have. Again, the message to us is this on the board. It's not just about knowledge, but it's about wisdom, which only comes to a person who humbly receives faith from God. We were reminded on Sunday also that we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. If you've surrendered to God and Christ, you're a child of God. And we must remind ourselves that it takes time for any child to grow up, doesn't it? It takes time for any child to grow up. There's no child that grows up overnight. So on the board, the Lord is patient. We use our own lenses to pressure ourselves. That is fleshly thinking. The Bible tells us to live one day at a time. The Lord is patient. The Lord is perfectly happy taking us along one day at a time. He's not sitting there tapping his foot saying, you know, you should know this by now. He's a patient father. And he's like, um, this, that's my plan one day at a time. Why do you think I give you so many days? So we have plenty of time. On the board, Matthew 6.34, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So relax and take the Lord's approach to life. What is the Lord's approach to life? Take one day at a time. When he was walking on earth in his ministry, if you think about it, each and every day, he was doing the most he could do in that given day for God's glory, for the Father's glory. Every day, he wasn't worried about tomorrow at all. He wasn't even worried about where he was going to sleep. He was pulled in a hundred different directions every day. He said, I'm going to live today and follow the Spirit's guidance for today, whatever you want me to do. Tomorrow might not even come. So that really was the Lord's approach to doing life. And if we do this, we are going to become exceedingly wise because we live in the moment. Because we, for example, concentrate right now fully on God's word instead of thinking about tomorrow. You see? So when you live in the moment like that, you're going to get the most out of these messages, for example. You're going to, uh, in humility, by faith, convert knowledge into wisdom, supernaturally. But it's all because you're taking one thing at a time. You're not thinking about tomorrow. We all do it at times, so don't condemn yourself. <laughs> but... It's, all, it's really that simple. If you can live in the moment, if you can live one day at a time, watch how wise you become. Because it's only possible one day at a time. So this is the life of the faith of a child. And this humble approach pays great dividends in our souls by the grace of God. Does a young child ever really think about tomorrow? Or is he consumed with today and enjoying today? Little Violet, when she's here running around the church, saying hi to everybody. Is she worried about tomorrow? Does she even consider tomorrow? Not unless you ask her. She's so consumed with today and enjoying today that life's just grand and I'm going to get what I can out of today. Who wants to say hi to me today? Right? <laughs> so cute but look at the look at that faith of a child look at talk about living one day at a time and that frees up God to bless us and give us wisdom because we're wholly invested in the moment part of this is something that came out on Sunday on the board learn to take whatever faith you do have and apply it to the life that you have been given or that you have been given in other words apply your own faith whatever faith God's given you to this point apply it to the life that you've been given by God 
each and every day, one day at a time, not to your neighbors, okay? And as Pastor mentioned, if you're going to do anything aggressively to increase your faith, then pray for it. Pray for it. Humbly pray for it. I, I, I get frustrated sometimes when I meet certain people that have a habitual tendency to doubt things. And every time you talk to them, they're like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And they say they're a believer, but they're always like doing this thing, hemming and hawing, looking, almost looking for excuses to not believe. So what's going on there? Maybe they haven't humbly prayed for more faith. You know, maybe they're not surrendering. I'm not sure, but pray for more faith if you want more faith. If you've got a problem, if you've got doubts, get down on your knees and pray for more faith. Prayer is so important to us growing in the faith. It's so easy to put off prayer, as I was doing for a while recently even. The whole, I'll do it later attitude, you know. I'll do a quick one now. Just say, hi, good morning, God, you know, bless me, thank you for this day, right, what you should do. But I'll come back later and give him some real time. Before you know it, you're in bed, and you try praying, and you fall asleep. The whole attitude of putting off prayer is a fleshly attitude, because your flesh hates prayer. Your flesh hates submitting to the Lord. And what is prayer but a time of dedicated submission to the Lord and what He wants. So stop it if you're in that, in that trap, that bad routine. Snap out of it and get back to it because without prayer, we can't increase in faith. And if you don't increase in faith, you're going to be missing out on everything else, the peace you want, the joy you want, the contentment, the wisdom, the things that really like make us content in life and not worried. So get back to prayer. Submit to him every day with your head bowed, even if it's for five or ten minutes. Dedicated time. I think God would rather have five minutes of dedicated time than 30 minutes of you spouting off, complaining during your day when you're not really, the, the music's on, someone's talking to you, and you're still talking to God. Listen, you can have conversations with God all day long. That's fine. But I think he wants alone time with you, dedicated time, even if it's five or ten minutes. And look at this, and this is a perspective issue. The, again, the flesh doesn't like this. Prayer is like our bloodline. It opens up the streams of life, the way to gather understanding and wisdom, to possess it, to hearing God, to, to loving God. You're like, why don't I love God more? Maybe you're not spending time with him to hear from him. Like in real humility, like on your knees, like, Lord, I know how horrible I am. Surrendering. Prayer is like our bloodline. And prayer does so much more that we don't even realize, besides the things I've already mentioned. Supernatural things are going on that we can't put a finger on. But guess what? You're not going to get to experience them unless you surrender like that each day. Unless you bow to Him. So on the board regarding daily prayer, we need to bow to Him and humbly go to Him asking for more grace and faith. It's funny how we want certain things from God, but we're not even willing to bow to Him and ask for it. I'm not talking about asking God for something as a passing comment throughout your busy day. I'm talking about bowing down to him. He deserves nothing less than that, right? Let's be honest. So we need to bow down to him and humbly go to him asking for more grace and faith. That's a great place to start in prayer. Father, <laughs> I suck, I know, I'm not dedicated to you. I'm not humble right now. I need more grace and faith. 
please give me more grace, more mercy, more faith. What, is, what does James say? Humbly, humbly, or humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you at the proper time. How many of us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of, of God on a habitual basis? Or do you just go through the motions of what you know you should do because you should? And we're all guilty. So daily prayer, without it, it's like, it's like not eating. Um, we say, Lord, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to do it my way. I want you to bless me, but I'm going to continue to live my life my way, being self-sufficient. I'll come to you when I really need you. But basically, it's all about me and my wants. Okay, God, is that okay with you? You know? I'm glad you hear me, Lord. Now you know what I want. What is wrong with us? <laughs> Heck of a lot. Talk about thinking backwards. Talk about lack of humility. So if we don't have humility to bow before him every day, what should we expect? What would you expect a father to do if his kids didn't show him honor and respect or even disrespect him? Again, on the board, we need to bow to him and humbly go to him asking for more grace and faith. We're going to see a couple of verses in a minute here about the fear of the Lord. And the word fear, it's often you know, translated respect, but I don't think it's like respect like in our culture. It really is more like reverence. You revere someone, you bow, you worship at their feet. That kind of respect, not the American respect. Yeah, I respect you, you know, and then you, whatever, turn your back on them. Like, like it's, it's much more of a mild definition in our culture than what the Bible's talking about. This, this should be a reverence to him. And no greater place to show it than in, than in prayer, alone time. But what do you expect, you know, from your father again if you actually disrespect him? Push him to the side. So we must follow the apostles' example of wisdom on the board in Luke 17, 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, help. Simple, pure. And then in Proverbs 4, 7 again, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. So there's wisdom for you, is to pray. Pray the right way. It's not about time. It's not about how much time. It's about the quality of the time. It's about the attitude that you enter into the prayer with. Are you bowing or are you, you know, being religious, going through motions? Turn again to James 1.5. What did James say? James 1.5. First of all, the apostle said, or actually prayed to the Lord for more faith. Increase our faith. And then what does James say in James 1.5? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask. God wants to give you more wisdom. Look, he, he who gives generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. If you want more wisdom, ask. If you want more faith, ask. And notice in verse 6, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's a little more wisdom on the board regarding wisdom and humility. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. You want honor? You want to be exalted? 
realize your place in line, so to speak, compared to God. Humble yourself first. Then God can honor you properly as a good father. On the board, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. And a couple uh, of these verses coming up here are kind of like a chain to wisdom on the board. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 4.7 The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. What do you see there in the bold? Do you see a progression or an order? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. So without humility, without fearing the Lord, we cannot even begin to enter into wisdom. So in humility and fear of the Lord, on the board, continue to pray for faith. If you lack a portion of something good, like faith, then ask God for more. It's that simple. He wants to give it to us. He's not like, you know, teasing us, taunting us, saying, you can have it. No, you can't. You can have it. No, you can't. No, he, he literally wants us to take it. Again, if you lack a portion of something good, ask God for more. It's that simple. But remember, you must ask with proper conviction, beginning with a desire to possess that which is pleasing to God. For example, faith in Hebrews 11.6. And how should we properly and honestly pray for things like faith? Alone with God. Alone with God. Alone means nobody else around. How about this? No other noise around. How about no um, technology being on while you're alone with God? You know how you don't shut your mind off <laughs> unless everything's off, right? Your mind's listening for the phone, for example, just in case. So find a place of solitude and close the door. Even if it's for five minutes, make it legitimate. Make it truly alone with him. Shut off your phone. Shut off your TV. Shut off whatever's in the background. Even letting other people in your household know not to disturb you right now. Because guess what? If you do that, then when you're in your room alone with the Lord, you can shut everything out, can't you? But if you don't take these these measures, like this is a treasure time, this is a precious time. If you don't take those measures of preparation, it's going on in your mind. Someone might knock at the door. My phone might ring. Like, what the heck are we doing, really, right? What's, what's Satan done? He spun us up so they won't stop. Let the technology keep flowing. It's okay. It might be a really important phone call. Someone might be dying. It's unbelievable. He's got us convinced of these kind of things. God wants alone time with you, even if it's five minutes. And God calls it secret. God calls it secret things. There's a private nature to prayer. That's how it's supposed to be in God's eyes. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 5 as the Spirit takes us on this little tangent. And again, we're talking about praying for more faith. But what's the right way to pray? Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, 
for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Remember what Ecclesiastes says, let your words be few. Again, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. And the Lord goes on to share with us His Our Father prayer. If God knows what you need before you ask Him, and God doesn't want meaningless repetition, is it possible that our time alone with God might be more listening than speaking? Maybe it should be more listening than speaking. If he already knows what we need before we ask him. Is, in other words, is the issue in prayer more about humbly bowing down before him than it is about what you say? Just something to think about. And in verse 6, how can we get to this place that he wants us? When you pray, go in your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we should pray alone to the Lord, even looking at it as a secret, private time with God that no one else knows about. It's an intimate thing between us and the Lord. So look at prayer this way. What an opportunity to be alone and personal with the God of the universe who just happens to be your Lord and Savior. What an opportunity. It's perspective, isn't it? How do you look at prayer? How do you look at praying for faith? Is prayer an issue of um, bowing down before him? in complete humility, or is prayer an issue of doing what you know you should do and asking for what you want? Let me give you something from yesterday's daily devotion in the book Jesus Calling, which fits what we've just been talking about on the board. From Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Grow strong in the light of my presence. As my face shines upon you, you receive nutrients that enhance your growth in grace. I designed you to commune with me face to face, and this interaction strengthens your soul. Such communion provides a tiny glimpse of what awaits you in heaven, where all barriers between you and my glory will be removed. This meditative time with me blesses you doubly. You experience my presence here and now, and you are refreshed by the hope of heaven, where you will know me in ecstatic, ecstatic joy. Psalm 4, 6 through 8, Revelation 21, 23, 2 Peter 3, 13. Again, this meditative time with me blesses you doubly. You experience my presence here and now, and you are refreshed by the hope of heaven, where you will know me in ecstatic joy. How do you expect to have joy with the Lord if you're not with the Lord, if you don't spend time with the Lord? How do you expect him to um, like personally relay his peace to you unless you sit back and listen for a while? So this is right in line with praying for more faith. And here's the funny thing, you know, about God and his ways. It's in that very process of humbly praying for more faith that you get more faith. It's in the process of doing that, that submission, that bowing to him in true humility, that we find more faith and intimacy with God. It's the process. It's the obedience. And you might just uh, start to see some of the supernatural ways God works. As the Spirit also brought up at the last couple of lessons, remember that the whole battle in the book of Job was a battle of faith. 
There's a battle of faith, this thing that we should be praying even more for. Satan said Job would denounce God, that Job's faith would fail. So again, we see the vital nature of faith in this invisible battle we're in. And what do we see Job conclude during his battle of faith? In Job 28, 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The other verse says that is the beginning of wisdom. Unless you truly have fear, respect, awe, or reverence for the Lord, you can't begin to have his wisdom, really. So that's where faith and wisdom all begin, at this place called the fear of the Lord. It is then that God can open up the floodgates to us and show us things that we really have no business knowing or understanding. So obviously the Spirit wanted us to spend some time on faith and wisdom again. Let's now get back to the apostles and the next topic, which has been commitment. What the apostles lacked, understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and power. All should be very encouraging to us. Um, As a believer, we all have some of that, but we all lack a lot of that as we grow as children. We've begun this topic with some general comments on commitment and the lack of it with mankind. On the board, Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept in humanity in general. People make vows all the time that are vapid, void of integrity. Again, read the options blog if you haven't already. Uh, Right up the same uh, alley, the same line of thinking. And our references have been Numbers 30, verse 2, Psalm 37, 5, Proverbs 16, 3, 1 Kings 8, 61, Jonah 2, 9, Ecclesiastes 5, 4, Luke 9, 62, James 5, 12, and Matthew 5, 32. I think we went to all these verses last Thursday. Um, Certainly something to go over again in your own time if you want. The Lord wants us to stick to our own words and our own commitments is what it comes down to in the scriptures. Whereas Satan has been training people, training all of us from childhood in this world to think that commitment is overrated and unnecessary, especially in the light of selfish gain. So the habit in humanity today, at least in our country, is to make a commitment, just in case it's a good idea to make a commitment, but just know in the back of your mind you have options. You can back out. After all, if it's for your best interest, you should back out because you're number one. Totally opposite way of thinking now in our society. A commitment isn't really a commitment. It's a facade that we put up there to get somebody's approval, acceptance, whatever, to get an agreement going. Hopefully it benefits us, and if it doesn't, it's like how we don't pay our bills anymore in America. Ah, I'm not going to pay them. What kind of attitude is that? You're basically saying, I lied to you. And I'm willing to lie to you. Right? So, again, no condemnation here. We're all guilty. Satan's trained us up quite well in this culture and in this society to think this way. Commitment's overrated. It's unnecessary. You know, do it. Do it if it's good for you. But, you know, don't take it too seriously. In God's mind, in the scriptures, as we've seen, your promises and vows mean an awful lot to God. There's a reason old-timers in our country used to say something like the following. If you don't have your word, you have nothing. Or you're nothing without your word. See, back in the day, as Pastor was mentioning, before there were even contracts, if you go back a hundred years, and you lived with five neighbors in a two-mile area. If you made an agreement with one of your neighbors and you backed out, 
you're not going to get any more agreements with your other neighbors. You know, and maybe that was a good thing there, that there were repercussions to backing out of a commitment you made. Again, you're nothing without your word. Why should somebody make an agreement with you if you just backed out of your last commitment? And guess what? Then you don't eat, possibly. Right? I'm thinking back in the day, you're bartering for stuff, you know. I'll give you oil, give me food, whatever. But you make a commitment, and then <laughs> you back out of it, and then the next guy's not going to, you know, make a deal. So your word is a verbal contract. And in God's eyes, it's, it's, it's a commitment. It's a real commitment. And uh, that's, that's regarding other men that we've been talking about. Think about making a deal with God. Think about making a vow before God. Think about salvation when you surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. If you have. If you did that thing, on that day you basically made a vow to him. You said, I'm turning to you, Lord, to save me. I'm turning to you, to you to save my life. I trust you to save my life. And then what do we do? Good question. We call on him as our Lord and Savior, and then what do we do? Go again to Numbers 30, verse 2. Was he just a convenience because our backs were against the wall? Was he just like a scapegoat, a temporary solution to our problems, and then we go back to living for ourselves? Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You might want to circle do and all in your Bibles. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, if you said it, if you vowed that you would do it, make sure you do it. Don't be a fool. Notice um, doing implies following through on what you vowed to God, especially to God. And we will all fail at times, okay? The question isn't being perfect. It's where was your heart at when you made those words, that commitment? What were your intentions or your motivation? Because God knows when you honestly try to do your best to fulfill a vow and you just fall flat on your face because you're unable, you, you, uh, you, you were weak, you gave in to the flesh, you were deceived by somebody, whatever. God knows, in other words, when your motivation is correct, though, and when you're being sincere. So that's the, the deeper issue here. He wants our heart's desire to be to keep my vow. So on the board, we saw some more about commitment on Psalm 37, 4 through 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. We also saw Proverbs 16, 1 through 3 in the Amplified. The plans and reflections of the heart belong to man, but the wise answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions. But the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. The Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. It goes on in verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. We saw more of Solomon's wisdom in Ecclesiastes 5. Go to Ecclesiastes 5.1 again as we begin to close. Ecclesiastes 5.1. 
Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Hmm. We might apply that to prayer as well, huh? Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. This is a mindset that involves issues of the heart. Pay what you vow. Draw near to God to listen rather than to spout off and to talk all about what you want. It's a mindset. It's a heart issue. And we know God's after our hearts. So again, on the board regarding commitment, Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept in humanity in general. People make vows all the time that are vapid and void of integrity. So this is where, again, we really have to consciously change our perspective on this. We have to say, the way I've been thinking about commitment has been wrong all these years. The way that I've been brought up in this world has been wrong all these years because there have always been options in the back of my mind to get out of my commitment if it's too painful, if it hurts my self-gain too much. So you, you, know, you really got to say, what does the Word of God say? And okay, I'm going to obey it. I've been wrong, Lord. I repent. I've been wrong. Give me more faith. Give me more wisdom in this area. And help me pay whatever vow I make to you. So let's close with James 5, verse 11. James 5, verse 11. Like to God, a vow or a commitment is very serious. In fact, there's judgment involved for those that, some type of judgment for those that, you know, drop their commitments. James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Again, talking about like a thoughtless swearing to this or to that. I swear I'll do it. I swear I'll do it, you know. But why did you swear to do it? Just to get out of something? Or did you swear to do it from the heart? Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes, and you know no so that you may not fall under judgment. So that you may not fall under judgment. You know, God, our Father, is not going to be mocked by us playing games with Him. He wants our heart, and when we're not doing things for the right reason or we disrespect Him, He has to discipline us out of love, and He will. So, keep your vow, children, right? That's what he's saying to us. Keep your, your vow. Don't be a fool. Don't be somebody that gets in the way of what, what I'm trying to do in you. Again, your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your word. It's so gracious and so wise and we ask that you help us truly understand these things. Give us more faith and humility and understanding so that we can grow in your grace and knowledge and we can be faithful servants that bring you tremendous glory. 
Father, we thank you again for this time together as family, and we ask that you help us bring your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.